I'm Anne, co-host of Transparency in Teaching, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingual, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. Good morning. Good morning. Good uh, afternoon. Good evening. Uh, Whenever and wherever you are watching this. Uh, this, of course, is Black, Brown, and Bilingue, and uh, we are so excited for our um, for our guest today. Uh, we have with us Ramsey's Ja and Q Ward, and they are the host of the nationally syndicated radio show and podcast, Civic Cipher. Additionally, Ramsey's uh, hosts the Black Information Network daily podcast, where he interviews Black journalists around the country to gain more insight into national news stories. Q is also a BMI published songwriter and former uh, in arena DJ for the Phoenix Suns. Is that former? Is that correct, Q? Um, yes, former. Uh, yes, uh, as well I'm as old retired age now. Ah, see, I'm trying to get like you. Trying to get like you. We should uh, definitely. Co- yeah, co-founder of the nonprofit, The Change Society, and owner of the media imprint, Hip Hop Weekly. So um, both have over 20 years of experience in the DJ and broadcasting industry, and we're excited uh, to have them with us today. Yeah, and again, here, man. just want to echo what Maurice said. And like, I every time Maurice and I speak somewhere and people are reading off, like, everything, you know, we've done... That feel because I always get kind of embarrassed. Like, yeah, that's me. I'll go first. I'll go first because I'm more like you. Like, I, I sit and listen to those things, and I um, unintentionally kind of shrink a little bit because the dynamic that we have is interesting. Because I'm the the big brother in age, but Ramses is my big brother as far as everything in this industry when it comes to, you know, DJing and and kind of curating in the hip hop space, broadcasting. He saw me and said, hey, you should do all this stuff. You'd be good at it. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> and he was like, no, you would be. And instead of like waiting for me to figure it, figure it out or get on his side of the argument, he just pushed me in the pool and I had to figure out how to swim. But to his credit, he's like, you're going to be a professional swimmer when you get in the pool. And I'm like, I don't really like water like that. He's like, trust me, Olympic level professional swimmer. So all the success I've had in this space, I will forever credit to Ramses because it was more his vision for us as a team and his vision for his big brother than me thinking that I should go and try all these things. So 
when I listen to it, I'm like, man, Ramses's intro should be like 11 minutes. <laughs> and mine should be like 30 seconds. Um, but he very cleverly always makes sure that mine seems to have more in the way of awards and credentials and accomplishments. So I'm going to talk to him when we get done with y'all because I know he did that on purpose. Yeah. You know, um, the I was just watching an interview you guys were doing. And can you tell the listeners, uh, I think it was with Kevin and the Bootleg um, podcast. Bootleg Kev, yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Bootleg Kev. And you guys were talking about this radio station. So can you guys give a little bit of background as to like what happened and what brings you to today? Sure, sure. So um, what I think you're referring to is uh, discussing the origin story of, of our show, Civic Cipher. Yes. So that's something that I can uh, probably take the lead on. Indeed. So, so yeah, as Q mentioned, uh, we did a... We, we did other radio shows before Civic Cipher and, you know, our time at that radio station, we always felt was uh, invested well. We felt that we had um, that, that the powers that be kind of stood in solidarity with us, with our people and so forth. And so uh, ultimately, when 2020 rolled around. Um, you know, we're out in the streets, we're protesting, we're, you know, doing our part, you know, far be it from us to sit in our, you know, high tower on the mountain, as it were, and look down on all the common folk as they, they protest injustices that are happening, I guess, perhaps more directly in their stories than in ours. Um, that's not either of our way, you know what I mean? And so, uh, we, we got our kids, we got, you know, our families, we got out on the streets and, you know, this was our fight, the same as everyone else. And, um, we saw that the people appreciated. And so there were, uh, some folks, uh, that I ended up meeting, uh, the local uh, BLM chapter. So I, I'm, I've been connected with the NAACP out here since I was a teenager, uh, where my, where I live in my city in Phoenix. Um, when I was in college, I was a president of the Black Student Union, so it was an NAACP chapter in and of itself. So I've been a member since then. Through them, I knew some of the members of the local BLM chapter and uh, ended up connecting with them in 2020. Uh, and they appreciated the fact that, you know, we're out on the streets, we're, you know, making this our fight. And this was, you know, prior to the numbers really swelling, because you remember there were like thousands of folks in all the cities. So uh, you know, they, they came up with this idea that, you know, we probably could do more. And I'm like, you know, yeah, absolutely right. We can do more, you know, with, you know, we have more of a platform or more of a stage, more of a voice in this city. I hope that doesn't sound bad, but you know, you, you understand that working in media, yeah. you have yeah. the, the ability to, you know, influence, um, culture and, you know, uh, your immediate surroundings and so forth. So, you know, um, had this idea to do, what was it like a 30 minute show? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we wanted to do it on in a weekend overnight time slot. Uh, Can where, you explain what that means? Yeah, yeah, the sure. Weekend overnight part. So for folks not familiar with radio or the inner workings, uh, weekend overnight means basically it's not really valuable to the station. There, There is no ratings. You don't have the most listeners. You, this is not a sellable part of the radio station. It kind of coasts off the... Uh, the ratings of the, the station all around that. So weekend overnights, you know, you're selling commercials for sometimes right. a penny or, or they're free or trade spots or whatever. Um, trades, meaning you're trading commercials for 
other perks or whatever. Anyway, it wouldn't have cost the station any money is the long and the short of it. And we only asked for 30 minutes. And what we wanted to do was bring uh, those people from the streets up to the station and give them a stage so that they could explain why we were so upset about Breonna Taylor or, um, you know, what defund the police means or, you know, you know, whatever, whatever was going on in that, in that moment. And they, they're a lot more intelligent. These are social justice warriors. We're DJs, right? Yeah. yeah that's important. Yeah. 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 So we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So I, I'm talking to the, uh, the PD, this, this is where I, I take over because Q wasn't uh, at the station at this time talking to the PD, um, because everyone had been furloughed, but I still had an open line of communication there. So talk to them, talk to the general manager and the owner. And I says, hey, you know, we can probably do more than put in black Instagram square. You know, Perhaps. yeah, this is, this is a hip hop station. You know, we right. what what do we say? We, uh, we play 70 percent. How do I say it? Well, I don't even say those percentages because it dilutes it a little bit. Everything, all the money you guys make here is on the back of black music. There you go. Period. I was 100%. just about to say, I think you quoted it at like a hundred percent black music. music yeah. 70% black artists, yeah, 100 percent black music. But and you're you're absolutely right, black culture. And uh you can do more and you should. And, and here's how you can do it. And it won't cost you any money, blah, blah, blah. But we'll do it for free. Or if you don't want us doing it, you can get someone else to do it if we don't have the right temperament or whatever, but it needs to be done because we're we're on the street seeing this you guys are going back to your houses at the end of the day you're living your lives and putting your covid masks on and it's all good but we have to like we have to live on the other side of this i have to explain this to my children so initially they agreed they're like yeah yeah we can definitely do that and then they just kind of strung me along for a couple months maybe and then months yeah and then uh finally they um the uh, the program director uh his name was fred rico uh that was his name fred first name last name rico uh he... okay can, can, can i <laughs> i literally let's talk about his name real quick because yeah, i was watching you talk about this yeah. and maurice and i have done episodes on like the black brown and black brown divide and mm-hmm. when you said frederico i was like is it federico oh my god was it a brown mm-hmm. was he brown uh yeah yeah well no! let, I, let, let me let me talk about this because i i know exactly what you're talking about and there's that's a big reason why we agreed to do this show because um <laughs> solidarity <laughs> between black yeah. people and brown people is very important yeah. to us. You know, I'm from Los Angeles and now we both live in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're uh, in the, in, in, we're in Mexico, what once was Mexico, right. right? We know exactly where we are. We know who our brothers are and our sisters are. And we also recognize that there are a lot of cultural things that have developed, especially in recent uh, years that have kind of strained relationships in, at different, you know, points. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of what we need to fix. You know, when, when, you know, the stuff was going on in LA with the, uh, the people making those racist remarks and whatever, we had to kind of deal with that a little bit more delicately. So the reason I say these people's name, Fred Rico, and I say Ken Brentlinger, the owner of the radio station, and I say Paul Holton, the general manager of the radio station is because those names need to be mentioned in this story. People need to be held accountable. Um, and, uh, they, they need to learn a lesson. I am not mad at Fred Rico. I, Fred Rico and I were friends for 12 years. I, I like to hope that we will resume our friendship perhaps in another lifetime, but that man is not simply the worst thing he's ever done. But if I don't say his name, then that accountability is, you know, he could say my name when I'm wrong, you know, and that's something that I have, you know, but I, whenever I do say his name, had I continued, I would have said that, you know, he, 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 he and I spoke 
Um, he wished us well on our journey, you know, so he's not like a, a bad person, a racist person. He's a person that made a bad call at the wrong time to the wrong person, because what he said to me was, uh, Ramses, I don't want to do a black show. And mm -hmm. so you kind of oh. understand that moment saying that to me was unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so the rest of the story goes, you know, I wrote a resignation letter. I kind of informed Q about it. <laughs> so. I, but I think he understood that he didn't need to. Yeah. Like in that in that space, you can speak for me because he knew exactly how I would feel once I heard this story that you guys are hearing now. Yeah. And bear in mind, we did a show together uh, prior to, you know, my resignation. So if I'm leaving, then, you know, Q's coming so with me. So you resigned for the two of you, right? Essentially. Right, right, right. But... <laughs> I like I that. I had I had a lot I I had the long standing relationship with Fred and with the radio station and and a more senior position in that moment. So, um, and with the community because I I had been more so more closely associated with that radio station. I was kind of the uh, I don't like how it sounds, but like the big name, if you will, at that. I like station. I like how it sounds because it's true. I do too. Call it what it is. Well, well, yeah, I appreciate. You know why people tuned in. Uh, yeah, yeah. And a, and a lot of business came and, you know, they, they needed someone, you know, imagine being a hip hop station and, you know, nobody really looks hip hop. Nobody's as authentic. Nobody is a genuine expression of the culture and no one is able to articulate, um, you know, the nuances of, you know, um, what, what's important, the direction, the movement, the momentum, speak to the streets, et cetera. No one's tapped in. In the, in the way that I was uh, for many years. And so, uh, so yeah, that it, it, that kind of was the case. So anyway, um, after I wrote that resignation, I posted it on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and so forth, and then ended up getting shared. And that ended up sort of turning into, uh, you know, sort of a groundswell mo movement. And people were very upset with the station because I had, I remember I had cultivated my relationship with the people. Um, right. and you know, as I mentioned, we had our, uh, not, or as you mentioned, rather, we had a nonprofit. And so we had been connecting with the community in very meaningful ways for that was that 10 years at that yeah. point, uh, feeding homeless people in downtown Phoenix. And then, um, you know, just a number of other things that we did, you know, uh, MLK youth celebrations, HBCU college fairs. Um, you know, we we work very closely with, uh, Mecha and, um, with Poder in Action and, of course, the BLM chapters and so forth. And so um, a lot of black and brown unity, a lot of black and brown solidarity, but um, I, it all kind of through the lens of hip hop. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what started the process. And after we resigned, um, folks ended up reaching out to us and saying, hey, what was that? What was that show you guys were trying to do? Because oh. I think we could we could get a show like that on out here. That's that's, you know, really speaks to the moment speaks, you know. And so yeah. now we're up to. Um, I, I forget the number, but was, we're over 30 stations around the country and we're yeah. about this close to um, effectively doubling that number. Um, we're we're still working out a couple of things with. Uh, a major media corporation um and they want to uh put us on another i think it's like 35 36 stations so we're, we'll find out more i think the last day of this month the last day of january so um, you know awesome. um, they've yeah. already said yes but we just need that's to figure out when federico told you 
we don't want to do a black show. Do, do you, did you read into it? Like, like what was, how did you receive that? Did you view mm -hmm. it as like, oh, that's a business decision. Do you think people were in like in his ear telling him like the country or the station doesn't want that right now? Like, mm -hmm. what do you think influenced him to get to that point? That's a, that's like, a great that's question. A hip -hop question. Like um, a hip hop station, like how yeah. did he come up with that? I don't think I've been asked that before. I, I'm glad you asked me that because I think I have a good answer for you. So yeah, we definitely got a good answer for that so, question. So yeah, Fred was Fred. Fred was not a hip hop person. He was a radio person. Okay. Is a radio person. I don't act like he's not here anymore, but he's he's a radio guy. Right. Um, he became hip hop by proximity, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people do. That's not the worst thing in the world. But being sort of hip hop and being accepted in, in hip hop spaces, you know, that sort of thing, um, that is not the same as being black. And, you know, there are certain things that you cannot see, you cannot feel, um, you can't, you can't, you, you don't live in the same fear. Uh, you don't have the same concerns. You don't see the same things when you look in your ch at your children, right? And you can make the argument that it's similar because, you know, Frederico, he's from a place called Tucson, Arizona. It's, um, you know, Southwest, you know, uh, relatively like medium sized city, you know. Um, but that moment was a decidedly black moment. Black lives matter. You know, these were the things that were happening. And that radio station is a decidedly black from a cultural perspective station. Mm -hmm. Frederico. Uh, is I'd say he's probably 90% radio, maybe four to 5% hip hop and the rest is other. Um, is not a bad person again. That's just who he was. And when he said what he said, I do think it was him trying to make a business decision. Mm -hmm. I think it was a decision that was made out of fear um, and uh, a decision that he perhaps made without fully consulting the wishes of Paul Holton and maybe even the owner, Ken Brettlinger. That's something I don't know. But I did talk to Paul and Paul really seemed enthusiastic about the idea. Um, so when Fred said that to me, it was just the wrong way to articulate what I think he was trying to say. Q, Q has said this before. Um, you, you say like if well, he if he had. Go ahead. I think I think it's important that the conversation happened with Ramses because Ramses was even in that moment able to give him some latitude that mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to just because they had a much closer and you know more cultivated relationship. Because even if it was a business decision, the language could have been, you know what, guys, we don't want to do a polarizing show, or you know what, Ramses. Maybe we don't want to get into politics. Like there's so many different ways that you could have said Called it. it. When we would have, Called it language he could have yeah, used. We would have had to understand. When you say we don't want to do a black show, we also understand. But then you've also made a decision for us. Yeah. So there's there, there's so many different ways that that could have been articulated if it was just a business decision. Um, so I'm, I, I give far less room and far less grace because even if you were making a fearful business decision, there's a different way that you could have said it, especially to him. <laughs> That's what it's like. Wow. 
it, yeah. it I, I've got to call out. I've got to call out um, that as a hip hop station, Ramses, I appreciate that you said this brother is 90% radio and 4 to 5% hip hop. And it shows because if you have any understanding of hip hop, it is a music of the people. It is a music sure. of change. It's and a music started, of education. Yeah. It's a music of protest. So yeah. how can we how can we be out here marching? Which I I love to hear that. Um, I'll, I'll just throw out there real quick. And we've done an episode on on interracial marriage. I always like to joke with folks. You know, I'm married to this white woman, and and she told me she said, "Hey, the protest is next Saturday, and we're going." She made the signs, and I had to pull her back and said, "Hey, don't talk to the police like that," because she was she was ready to go ham. So I, I yeah. my wife, anyways. But but yeah, had the family out there, but the songs that we're singing, right as we're marching through our city. Are songs of hip hop and black culture, right? They're, they're, sure, they're sure. Some of those songs so, came from slave fields, man. Those, that's mm -hmm. yeah, that was heavy. So, that was heavy chance. Yeah, I, I just, I, I do think, man, that's that's very problematic to own a hip hop station and not be willing to let hip hop do what hip hop does, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? I like um, that, yeah. I, to only view it as as that money making lens, I, I, I think is, man. Yeah, that, that's that's quite unfortunate. And and our task since then has been to charge our often enough white male Christian uh, brothers, heterosexual brothers. Um, Can you for, explain why you just made those specific? <laughs> that, there's a very specific type of individual that wields. Um, influence in, in, in ways that are very much invisible to most folks. But when you, you know, distill it down, you boil it down, you, you recognize that um, wealthy, uh, often enough, um, or well-compensated white heterosexual males who are Christian, people born with really no strikes against you in this country, uh, in our um, estimation are making decisions that affect and borrow from and influence the direction uh, and, and chronicle the narratives of cultures that they, they, they basically can just profit from it and ruin it or drag it through the mud or play, you know, 10 songs in a row where there's no, you know, redeeming, <laughs> you know, uh, there's oh. no violence and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and to be, be honest with you, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hip hop. I'm, I'm born from it, right? Compton, California, 1982, man. So that was where I grew up, right? Um, I myself spent some time as a music director for a radio station, and even I would program songs in such a way to where there wasn't an overload of, you know, too much heavy stuff. You know, the, the, what people deem negativity, I don't really see it as that. I, get, I know some songs, yes, absolutely. But for the most part, I think people are kind of telling their stories. But if you program one specific way, then you misrepresent the broad spectrum that is hip hop culture, right? And these are mistakes that we often find uh, with those sing or those uh, Christian heterosexual white uh, Christian males who are often at the heads of companies and and radio stations, media uh, uh, media imprints. Um, that are using black culture, brown culture, any any dominant culture in in um, 
our society and profiting from it without having to deal with the repercussions of it. So yeah, when we when we go to radio station, we say, hey, can you uh, pick up Civic Cipher? It'll cost you an hour a week, but you're gonna you know you're gonna be forever entrenched right with the people, and you know we'll hold you down. You know, people like to push back because they, they they want that, you know, even if it's a weekend overnight time slot and it's it's only good for fifty dollars, they want that fifty dollars, right? Yeah. And we have to let them know. And I've said this before, you know, this is our table, right? This is our culture. Um, we don't mind if you eat from our table, but make sure you save us a seat, right? And I think that that's a fair ask um, because, you know, to be fair, it's capitalism. We don't love that, but that's what it is. And people are trying mm -hmm. to give money and feed their families right. the same as we do. But um, you, you don't have to be greedy. And if your greed comes at the expense of the safety and um, the, the uh, cultural integrity of your brothers uh, and sisters of African descent, um, then uh, you're, you're taking too much and, and we have to teach you how to love us properly. And so this is kind of the energy that we, I'd say we, yeah. we have when we go into these stations, but we don't, we, we're not soft when we, we do these asks, you know, but I don't, I don't think the ask is all that hard. Um, so. I, I, I love that last point um, of, of, of we're not soft when we do the ask. I, I, um, I uh, I listened to a brother. Um, I don't know if you all know, um, Show Baraka. Mm. Uh, Show Baraka is a hip hop artist out of Southern California, Christian hip hop artist. Okay. And uh, the brother says in one of the songs, he says, um, you know, we leave Egypt happy to speak resistance, then turn around and ask Pharaoh for his assistance. Mm. And I thought, you know, what a beautiful uh, idea. Um, That's a bar. That well represents kind of some of the things that that we deal with in this country, right? Like you talked about, as capitalists, other folk owning the radio stations, um, and so you are having to do that ask. Um, but I love that you said, "I'm I'm not soft with it. I'm not going to bend it to fit into what you're looking for." So, te gusta nuestro contenido? Then go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe. So the the end result was the Civic Cipher. I, I do have a question about that. Tell me mm. about that name, right? Because when I hear Cypher, I think hip -hop, I'm thinking double XL Cypher. Yeah. That's exactly where bars, your mind should you know? go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in short, I got to credit uh, a dear friend of ours and mentor. Um, her name is Dr. Camilla Westenberg. She's uh, the vice president, I want to say, of the... Uh, uh, like the Arizona NAACP or whatever, but we've known her for decades. Um, she was my mentor when I was in college and my my professor, actually. So the books I learned from when I was a teenager, I'm 40 now. So those books downstairs at my house, um, she taught me from those, those books. And uh, when uh, this was all happening, she was kind of a, a counselor to us, I'd say. Not was, is. Yeah, still, she's, she's, um, I'd say late 70s now, 77, 78, somewhere in there. Um, and she's been on this journey for a long time. And we had to get ready for it real quick. Because remember, we was in the clubs, DJing. You know, we was you know, bringing in the next we Cardi B record. We have to always bring it back to that part. Yeah, that's where we... And so um, in talking to her, she had an initiative with uh, the NAACP called From the Circle to the Cypher. And that initiative where, was where she was trying to bring um, 
sort of like the village elders, the circle to the cipher, which is kind of younger people and have these like um, conversations about what activism looks like and what you should and shouldn't do, because there's a lot of wisdom, you know, um, stored in these these minds who have been you know out here you know 60 70 80 years sometimes and there's young people with a lot of energy and enthusiasm but perhaps don't have the same you know uh, strategies you know built up over a long period of time so when she said um she said the name circle to the cypher she's like you know you're welcome to use that name for your show if you want and uh it didn't quite fit but um you know at the time we were kind of having to deal with police like literally as we were protesting they were snatching us up off the streets they didn't snatch me because again i have a bit of a higher profile and i was always with my children and i was well insulated um you know uh there were a lot of you know groups uh again i mentioned poder in action it's a it's a group out here that that works primarily with uh hispanic communities and spanish our spanish-speaking uh, brothers and sisters and then another group called white paws white people against white supremacy and those would be kind of our bodyguards so you know that stuff never happened but yeah um uh, <laughs> civic was the the word that really fit a little bit better and so civic cipher and you're absolutely right hip-hop you know is is sort of a circle you know, in our studio, we have a round table um, and we have a civic cipher um, every every week. And, you yeah, know, that we, was that was very intentional. Yeah. It was supposed to make your mind go exactly where it went. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a activist social justice show for a hip hop space. So we target hip hop stations um, with our content. And of course, we have the podcast as well. So That's awesome. Uh so just to kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, you've kind of alluded to this, um, or I alluded to the Black-Brown divide that Maurice and I actually um, talk about on our podcast. And that was sort of the impetus for us to come together and have this. Mm -hmm. um, Maurice and I met like 10, 12 years ago, um, but then really got close during our, we took some courses together. And we would always leave class and we would get into these big like discussions around race, ethnicity, so anything social justice. Um, but then with George Floyd, we started in 2020 also, life kind of slowed down. And one of our first topics was to really tackle like, why is there this divide and why don't people like to talk about it? And part of me is like, we typically don't like to air off our dirty laundry in public spaces, but then at the same time, it's like, how do we address the issues if we can't even be real with one another? Because I grew up in, I'm from Chicago, and like I struggle to relate to some of the Latinos that are in border towns because culturally they have a very different experience. Like I'm first generation, I saw what my parents went through working all the time, whereas even some people in border towns are very anti-immigrant because they're there. So there's always these little rubs even within the Mexican community, but then on top of that with the Black community, yet no one wants to talk about it. Like, why do you think that is? And what do you think is the rub? How about that? Two very, very different questions. So I'll start with the first one. Um, talking about the divide, talking about issues in general, if you're convinced that you partially benefit from any of these problems, you're hesitant to address them. When you talk about capitalism, patriarchy, monarchy, a lot of women don't speak up against male chauvinism or misogyny because if your husband runs a corporation and he's filthy rich and you get a really good life from it, 
it's hard to be on the front line talking about men shouldn't be running everything. Well, so you talk about people in border towns. If they feel like immigrants coming from the city just south of them are going to take their jobs or make their neighborhoods less safe, mm -hmm. they get indoctrinated with this poison from those who stand to profit most from it. So it's it's some skullduggery, right? Like right. there's so many things that were put into place to keep us divided because the list of things that we have in common is almost infinite. If we just, hey, yeah. let's talk about all the things that are alike, we'd be talking for hours. The list of things that divide us is this long. But if you can make us afraid that those things will take you and push you down, then it's going to be very, very uncomfortable to talk about those things that that keep us apart. So they found a way to create this hierarchy. You know, everything from, you know, uh, the model minority mm, to yes. the, the Willie Lynch letters um, to, again, the American dream. Capitalism requires that a group of us have nothing. In order for the system to function, somebody has to not have yeah, anything. Zero. Yeah. Right? So I don't have to pay you more if somebody has nothing. They'll do it for less than you. They don't have anything. And it keeps everything in check. You know what I'm saying? So all of these systems were put in place so that those that stand to profit the most could remain there. They trick us into fighting amongst each other make each of us think that we're responsible for each other's problems when it's them. And by dangling the carrot that, Hey, one day you could be me. Yes. You don't really want to speak against me. Cause then what happens when you're in this position, 100%. you'll never be in that position. That's the point. Right. But if you think if you're poor and white, that I was just going to go there fighting against black people to protect rich and white, just on the basis that you're white then yes. all of you will remain poor. All the poor and white, all the minority and poor will remain poor because there's far more of us that don't have than that do. So we have to keep the have-nots divided. If they ever unified and fought against us, they'd take over the whole world. This is what Martin Luther King was uh, preaching uh, so the, around the time he passed away when, yeah. he, was, when he was murdered. This was, so the yeah. reason why so many of these conversations are uncomfortable, because it's just like um, we were talking about a story in sports. I don't remember how many shows ago, but when these things happen, that should be obvious causes for outcry from everybody. Everybody pauses for a second, like, wait, have I ever done anything wrong? Have I ever done anything similar to that? Is there anything in my closet that looks or sounds like that? Okay, I know that dude is being a racist jerk but I'm not sure how I was talking when I was in college or if somebody might've recorded that conversation I was having. So let, let me not jump out here too aggressively against that person because I don't ever want everybody to look back at me, right? So if you make everyone operate out of the fear, no one wants to say anything too loud. Like imagine Ramses and I, right? We have a lot of years of flawed living. We are not, we, we remind people all the time the reason why we start with we were DJs, because we were not scholars in this space. Ramses says all the time, and there's no better way to say it. We are learning how to fly this plane in the air while, we're while it's being built. Mm -hmm. Right? We're, right? We're not experts and we're not perfect. We're not moral superiors to anybody. But we do feel, we do have children, we are empathetic. So we should start from there. So building the bridges are easy. But there's so much indoctrination put in place to keep us divided. 
your second question was, what is the divide or what is the rub? Yeah, what do you think? I mean, I, you kind of answered that. And if you want to expand on it, but then even what can we do to like bridge it? I know it's getting better, but listen, I still hear the things and like people assume just because I'm Mexican that they can say certain things. And I'm like, no, like, that's not yeah, cool. It's, it's getting better, but so much slower than we would like. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like we, Ramdas and I, the, the dynamic between Rams and I, the reason that our show works, the reason why our dynamic works, the reason why we're allowed to be very much two different sides of the same coin, right? It's like we couldn't be more alike and more different at the same time, but it starts with, I love Ramses and Ramses loves me. Everything else we can figure out. And that's the same with all of us. The reason why I can come on here and be angry and mad is because Ramses loves so it's like, okay, Q, I get that you're pissed off, but you can't be mad into perpetuity. Like we can't ever get to where we're trying to go if you won't forgive and you won't teach and you won't educate and you won't build that, that bridge. The person can't be, like you said, they can't be the worst thing they've ever done forever. You can't say, mm -hmm. nope, you messed up. So you're disqualified. No, Ooh, that's you cancel have culture. to be willing to build. Yes, you have to be willing to educate, rebuild, reconcile so that we can do better and you know i i air my frustrations every time we turn this microphone <laughs> on because the progress <laughs> that we should be making is happening way too slow for me and mm -hmm. i am in the moment most times way less forgiving because i don't like being slapped on both cheeks like my mom taught me turn the other cheek when i was a kid okay when you slap the other cheek i'm not turning it again right i ran out i ran out of cheeks i only turn. have two cheeks fam so, so <laughs> what, what are we doing now and Yo, Ramses has, has to be like you, Come here, bro. <laughs> Maurice is that for me? That is so funny. Maurice is that for me? And Maurice is the rev, right? And I remember the first few times that I would let out a swear word, I'd be like, <laughs> but now he's to the point where if he hears me and I'm upset and I'm going off, he's like, "Oh, I know you're mad because you're swearing." And usually you catch yourself, but you're just letting it fly right now. And so he's. He's that for me. And Maurice, I love you, even though I don't tell you enough because you get on my nerves. Like, uh, same, same. Uh, uh, actually, you did tell me, remember the other day we was getting off the phone awkwardly. She was like, all right, I love you. Bye. <laughs> I was like, um, I love you too. <laughs> like, I mean, I do, <laughs> do, but but it was it was one of those moments. At any rate, I, uh, so, so, so two quick thoughts. Uh, man, I, I, I know um, I had a chance to listen uh, to your episode and what you were discussing, Will Smith and, and that forgiveness piece, you know, and I, I love what you all keep referencing, right? We are not the worst thing. The worst day of our life does not define us, right? Mm -hmm. We are this mixture of, of, of everything. People are complicated, yeah. People are complicated, 100%. Um, but I also, I think you're, you, you kind of are, you've continued to reference this slowness, right? And so I actually, I tweeted the other day, um, just a quote from Dr. King, where he talks about, he says, and it's in the I have a dream speech, right? And, and we never quote this part. We always, I have a dream. We want to, we stay stuck on the dream. And Dr. King says, we are faced with the fierce urgency of now. Wow. Right? And, and, and you know, he says, um, uh, we are faced with the fact that, that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the first fierce urgency of now. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. Talk that talk, Doc. Mm. And so 
we don't we 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 don't we don't quote that part of the speech right because that is that's less um oh it'll get better tomorrow yeah. now in your in your um on your website you all talk about you know you're having some conversations around that DEI space and it's incredible because everybody and their mama now has a DEI coordinator has a DEI you know and, yeah. and if you want you know you could just go and get paid somewhere and take on the role. The problem is, is some places aren't even hiring somewhere, oh, hiring somebody. They're 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 picking the black person who works for them and says, "You're now our DEI coordinator." Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you, you know what are I'm saying? the entire minority here, so yeah. represent them. You, you now are going to represent that, and uh, here's additional responsibilities, but no extra pay. We're not giving you more money, nah, son. Um, <laughs> So I guess one of my questions for you all, as, as we engage in these conversations around DEI, right, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion for any listeners who don't know what that is referencing, what are the things that you think are going well in that space? And what are some of those pet peeves maybe that you have, like some things where you like, okay, enough of that. Enough <laughs> of the black <laughs> square on Instagram, right? Like sure, all sure. this performative junk. If if you go to the website of you, it, just in your opinion, whoever you think are the top companies on earth, whenever you get a chance, just go to their website. There is absolutely a play a page on DEI. The company I work for is DEIB, right? Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Belonging They're taking yeah. a step further, and on our national calls every week, someone has to talk about it. So I appreciate the steps are being made, but they asked me to talk about it one week. And they had to know it wasn't going to go like everyone else's because now this is what I do, right? Like we we referenced the DJ space because we were very, very novice when this started. This is what we do now. Yeah. So we can sit and have this conversation with whoever feels like having it. I was thankful that I've worked with some leaders at that company where DEI is not just for PR. It's not just good marketing. However, like I referenced the top companies on earth, you pick the golden arches, the swoosh, the piece of fruit. They have a page on it. I'm not sure how real it is, right? But everybody wants to be on the right side of the visual. Everybody wants to be on the right side of, you know, the marketing of DEI. You have to wonder how serious most of these places are, right? You have to look into their hiring practices. Um, a lot of those companies actually list that info. I think that's important. You know, the percentages of people in leadership that are minorities, that are women, you know, you can actually see that information. I think that's going a step further than most companies want to. Most companies want to take a picture, literally have the four of us show up, take a picture, and then put that picture on the website, wearing a t-shirt from that company. Look how diverse we are. Not telling anybody the only four people in the office that look like us are us, right? So for a lot of companies, it's performative and that's frustrating. Um, and every place that I've worked has a lot of room to improve but I I shout out my brother here a lot because he teaches me a lot of things real time it's not like a lesson he taught me when we first met like no every single time we sit at this table I walk away having learned something more so the idea that progress is being made I can't what Ramses always says it's not nothing and that's sincere it's not they're not the fact that they're taking steps at all is something. I just wish those steps were bigger and, and were more impactful. Um, and I haven't been into every boardroom in the country, of course, but uh, I have been in enough of these spaces to realize for some of these companies it's performative and that's frustrating. 
Yeah, you know, Maurice and I, we um, we provide professional development um, schools, and we were just at a high school where one of the black male employees was just extremely frustrated at how slow these things move sometimes. And I think Maurice and I even found ourselves kind of at a loss, like, what are those little measures of success? You know, those little increments, how are you going to track that along the way so that you know you're moving in the right direction and so that you don't lose, I think it just breaks your spirit after a while. Like, sure. this sure. is heavy. I, I can't, I've been, I feel like I've been fighting my whole life and yet I see very little progress. For you guys, what does that look like? You have those little measures of success and, you know, um, freedom dreaming, Maurice, that we talked about this summer where we know the obstacles that are there. We know the systems that we want to dismantle, but do we even have the capacity to dream up a new world where, mm. you know, from its infancy, organizations or institutions are built with DEIB in mind? Wow. That's a great question. And I, we, we have a, a tradition around here of being brutally honest. So I will say that is a great question. And I'll also say that that's not something that I've ever been asked before. So what you're going to hear is my first thoughts on it. I hope that they're well received by you and our listeners. Um, but if I had to come up with a metric, it would look something like this. Uh, the population of this country is, uh, we'll, we'll say 13% Black, 14% uh, Latino, you know, so so forth and so on, right? Um, if a, a company wanted metrics that they could look at and say, okay, we're working toward this goal or this is this is the optimum scenario, uh, if it's a national comp company, their their national um, promotion uh, practices, hiring practices, compensation practices, you know, in terms of their overall amount of money that they pay out to employees, 13% should go to uh, Black people, 14% should go to mm -hmm. the amount of people hired, 13 you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for local com uh, companies, you know, it should reflect their immediate environment. I wouldn't impose those same type of metrics on a company based and operating solely in a place like Wyoming. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, is very cool about uh, both Q&I is we've been able to do a lot of traveling. And as a result, uh, you know, I've been to all 50 states. Um, I've seen exactly how diverse this country is. And I've been to places where people live right in the middle of a city and they are extremely closed-minded and I've seen people live out in the sticks where you think they'd be the most racist people in the world and they have just wide open hearts and they want to learn but they have no no one to learn from so if I'm just giving a rule to anyone listening today um and and not knowing your your company your corporate culture you know anything like that <clears throat> If you make sure that the amount of people that are arrested and, and go to jail are 13, if, if that's your goal, you know what I mean? Uh, if you if good, bad, right, wrong, indifferent, you know, if it reflects the population, then I think that you're taking steps toward um, inclusivity and uh, belonging, I believe was the last one. And so um, 
I, I know it's probably going to get a little bit more complicated beyond that. But again, this is the first time I've been asked the question, sure, and sure. that's what I would that's what I would go with. Q, is there anything you want to add? Or I think uh, just making room in those metrics for women, right? I don't want the entirety of your diversity to be made up of men. Right? We got this many mm -hmm. black people. Oh, but they're all men. Well, you're missing the point here, sir or ma'am. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely. It's funny. I, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm like all jacked up this morning. It's all this coffee. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's something that Maurice and I still talk about. It's like, we'll go into meetings with other people. Um, even recently, we were talking with a publishing company and they always address him. And it's very, and, and it, it was a white space, but they address Maurice. And I get it. He's a lovable guy. Like I want to, you know, I get it. <laughs> Did people say he talks like Obama? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious that's it is it is there, there's so, something in that too but we'll, we don't have time for that. i can't not hear it now that's yeah. funny i didn't think so <laughs> yeah. before now that you now yeah. say it, it's, like, okay, it's gonna be that every time thank you <laughs> yeah. so, but people will address him and so it's interesting like he's a black male i'm a latina and even there his gender sometimes mm -hmm. Sure. above and then there are times where you know me being latina puts me a step above so it's just been very interesting and i think um i listened to this really awesome ted talk where there's this notion that women just are not confident and that you know if we want them to succeed in the corporate world we just need to help them build their confidence and really at the core of it women are very confident and competent it's that confidence in women is received very differently mm -hmm. than confidence in men, mm -hmm. right? And so you can walk in and just be a confident person or, or, or know that you have the same abilities as your male counterparts, but that will not be received the same. Sure. And so I really try to address that piece too of like, women are confident. We, we know what we know and um, be mindful of that. And women, unfortunately, do that to each other too. Like we feed into that white male mentality sometimes all of us do yeah all of yeah. us feed into those practices again we've been taught the way that we all like there's there are women who think the world is better when being run by men but they were and that was that's all they've ever seen yeah, yeah they don't know right. it. like it's not it's not a decision that they're making in most cases but more something that they were even subconsciously or unconsciously being taught from sure. you know from childhood so um yeah, there's so many cases where, again, it's hard to ask the woman who's married to the most powerful man in the world to stand up against men being in power. She benefits yeah. from it so much. And you can break that down, not just to men and women, but Black men, right, benefit from a world where the men are in charge, even though that world might be against our people as a whole. Right. We yeah. talked about code switching on a show recently. Yeah. yeah. Walking into these spaces where it's more acceptable to speak the way that all of us speak and not to uh, what was the word you use, Rams? Jive. Oh, talking jive. That's a talking <laughs> like, that jive. That's an old, <laughs> old way of describing basically. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's uh, again, it's hard to break <laughs> away from the things that divide yeah. us because we've been taught that they are to our benefit. If you liked this episode and would like to see more, check out these videos.